Hello, I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Katie Sewell. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. And today, I am not alone. I am joined again by Jennifer Dassel, host of the Art Curious podcast and the book of the same name. And if you haven't heard her long interview on Monday yet, go back and listen to that first. Because today, we're just going to touch on one little, I don't know if it's a minuscule issue, but one little tiny section of your very rich book, which is about body trafficking and the Renaissance. Since we love Rome, since we love Florence, I feel like we need to know if our artists were snatching people off the street and dissecting them. So I feel like anybody who's seen David or the Pietà knows that Michelangelo really knows about the human form, especially the male form, I feel. But how does he gain this knowledge of muscle and structure and skeleton, would you say? Was he robbing graves? So I love this story because I really thought that he was. I don't quite know where I learned this story, but I absorbed this idea that people like Michelangelo and Leonardo and others were actually going like covertly at night and blood spattered trying to dig up these recently dead people and bringing them back and studying them in their studios by candlelight. I completely believed it. And I started writing this chapter to discuss that story. And it wasn't until I started doing the research for this chapter that I realized that that was a complete myth. It's like believing the world is flat. It's one of those things that people still hold on to and go like, oh, yeah, well, that's totally true. But there is a a professor from Harvard who's been doing study on this exact subject for many, many years, especially in relationship to artists and women. So thinking about women's bodies that were used for these purposes. And her discoveries were that this idea of the Renaissance being a time in which the church, the Catholic church in particular, really forbade the desecration of the body. It was seen that if you were going to do a dissection or if you were going to by any way really mar the body, it was seen as a total sin and something really horrible against God, a total insult. But that was not true. The church actually from the end of the medieval period and in through the Renaissance actually really supported study of anatomy because there was this thought that God could in some way be really present physically in the body. And so they would allow people to do dissections and autopsies on holy women, for example. So nuns for for the all sakes of our discussion today. And they would look to see if there was any physical sign in their body of Jesus having been like present in their heart, for example. So at that point, it really became this open thing where the church said, regardless of your background, we don't have a problem with it. And the church was very into ideas of scientific advancement because it wasn't in any way harming, they felt, the idea of God being at hand. It was more about studying the marvels of the kind of things that God created. So the marvel of the human body and God's work therein. And so it's really this very total flip-flop from what I grew up believing with art history. And it was this tale that really began from what I can tell in the 19th century with the really this Christian revival that happened in the 19th century, especially in America and in parts of Western Europe, where there was this real push to be very evangelical and very respectful and a little contained in terms of especially what the body could do and what we should be doing with our bodies. And there was this idea that at that point, 
no way could you be doing autopsies. And the thought was, oh, this has always been the way it's been. People just haven't really talked about it. And so this idea that the Renaissance was this backwards time where they acted in that same manner, where they said, we definitely do not support any grave <laughs> robbing or um, acquisition of any corpses for medical means or otherwise, that's really when that started happening in, in history. It wasn't until the 19th century that that idea took hold. Which is interesting, because as you point out, it makes sense that the church might not be against it also, because they were already in the habit of, for instance, displaying the finger of John the Baptist or exactly. other actual physical parts of people. Exactly. They were into the idea of reliquaries and having, you know, like just like you said, body parts. So why would the church say, no, don't do that, don't check to see what someone's arm looks like on the inside because they wanted to have a piece of that arm too, just like anything else. So you're exactly right. But it is true that these artists in some cases were actually getting inside the human body to study the form. Exactly. They just weren't doing it secretively so much or uh, illegally, I suppose you could say. A lot of people, um, and Leonardo in particular, this is something that he wrote about in his journals, is that he would make connection with um, hospital workers. It was more like hospice, I suppose, more like a hospice situation than a hospital that we're thinking of today. And he would make connection with doctors and people who worked there, and sometimes even with the patients themselves to be able to access their bodies after death. And then he would very legally and very prominently with everybody in the know, then he would be able to do autopsies and dissections of those bodies. So it was not totally covert. Which is not something that, uh, I don't know, would artists have access to be able to do something like that today? Ooh, that's also a very good question. I don't know. I wish I could answer that. <laughs> artists, write to me, tell me. Next time you meet somebody who's like a really good sculptor of the human form, you can, <laughs> you can ask. Them. I think that's very true because it's like, I know you can go and do studies off of the nude figure, but what about the interior? I, maybe that's what you can study a skeleton for? I don't know. That's a great question. That's another fine point, actually, though, that in part they have to dig inside the body to check it out because they are not, uh, the inside of the human body was not something that they could just open a book and look at at that point. That's true. And it really wasn't until I think at the end of the Renaissance where medical texts like we think of them were really starting to be developed at that point. So yeah, they really had to just go out there and try to make it happen themselves. One final question. You also point out that Michelangelo, his crafting of the human female is not as generally on point as his crafting of the human male. Why do you think that is? There have been a lot of different theories that art history professors have really thrown at me over the years and things that I've read. Um, there was one really interesting theory that I read probably about five or six years ago, where an art historian stipulated that Yes, some of his female figures look a little odd, like a breast tacked on here and, you know, a, a stomach that looks super ripped six pack that you might see more on a man or a really good female bodybuilder. Um, <laughs> but her idea was that there was this real dichotomy, just like there is now of the virgin and the Madonna, the virgin or the, the prostitute. And that one of the ways that she wanted to represent women was also either as this solemn virgin like the Pieta that we can see in Rome, or that she'd want to show women not necessarily as a sinner, but as a heroic figure. So not 
the mother Mary, not a Madonna, but not also a fallen woman. There was this idea of this strong, heroic female figure in between. And the best way for Michelangelo to come up with showing what a hero would look like would be to create a heroic male and then just make it a woman, if that makes any sense. So he was basing her figure still on what a heroic man would look like, which was still very muscular. And then again, kind of just tacking on some more feminine attributes. So again, just really modeling it on the man. One last question, since there are so many sort of romantic nudes of women that come from the Renaissance period and actually throughout art history, but were they able to do like a drawing class where they got to have a naked woman standing in front of them and learn to draw? Later, I think that was something that wasn't actually tacitly done publicly until probably the 19th century. It was still a little sketchy up at that point, again, no pun intended, where people were sometimes renting out sex workers or other people to act as their models very, very hush-hush within their own studios so that some artists could be able to sketch from the nude female figure. But it was still seen as something very uncouth and something that women weren't supposed to do if they were reputable in any way at that point. In the 19th century, when things became much more regimented in terms of our education, you could do that to some smaller degree. But again, I don't think it really was until the late 19th and early 20th century that a woman artist, for example, could also paint or draw from a nude male figure. It was still very gender separate up until that point. But now people can obviously go and do it. So that's that's the good thing. We've reached the egalitarian point. <laughs> yes. Evolution. Hooray. Yay. Well, thank you so much for joining me for my mini episode as well. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Art Curious podcast and get a copy of this book, Art Curious, Stories of the Unexpected, Slightly Odd, and Strangely Wonderful in Art History by Jennifer Dassel. Thank you so much. Thank you. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you love it, leave us a good review. And please tell all your friends about us. Also, if you have an idea for a bittersweet moment, send it to us by email or voice memo. We're at bittersweetlife@mail.com, Or you can just find us at the contact page at thebittersweetlife.net. Or on all the social medias, just search for The Bittersweet Life.